Let us pray. Almighty and most gracious Father, through your kindness, through your mercies, through your compassion, you have revealed yourself to us. You, O God, have revealed yourself as the Father and as the Son and as the Holy Spirit. That you might lead and guide us to yourself. And so this day, plant within us a deep love for you. Plant in us a deep love that we might worship you and that we might go forth this day serving you and making known your Son, Jesus Christ. And evermore, give us your Spirit that we would draw near. And though we cannot comprehend, but that we might lay hold of and grasp that you are the one true God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Enable us, Lord, to know this and to believe this and to ever forth and to evermore go forth knowing You. All of this we ask through Your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Jesus said, The Helper will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is Mine. Therefore I said that He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. Today is the day that we step back and we wrestle with the reality of God in Himself. Today is the first Sunday following Pentecost. It's Trinity Sunday, as I said earlier. And the church in her wisdom has set this day aside to expressly speak of the Trinity. And of course, a Sunday doesn't go by that we don't hear something about the Trinity, even if somehow, some way, I didn't mention Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in my sermon. We hear it throughout our liturgy. Throughout our liturgy, we're constantly calling on this one God, constantly speaking of Him as Father and as Son and as Holy Spirit, constantly recognizing that there is one God, and yet this one God has revealed Himself as three persons in our midst. Three distinct persons, not mask, not modes of being, but distinct persons who somehow subsist and exist in the one being of God. And it's appropriate because with the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, with the pouring out of the third person of the Trinity upon the church at the day of Pentecost, the church has to reflect. For after all, we know that Jesus claimed to be God Himself in the flesh. He said that I am. Before Abraham was, I am. He declares Himself to be the one true living God. And, and then He promises a helper, which we've been hearing about for the last few weeks over and over. He speaks of this helper, this third person who will come and be with God's people who will dwell alongside them and dwell within them, making us the people of God, making us the temple of God, making us in our gathered place the body of Christ. This third person of the Trinity forces us to step back and fully wrestle with the reality of who God is in Himself. The third person, the Holy Spirit, brings the Trinity into our midst to dwell in us. You might say Jesus is God with us in the flesh and now the Spirit is God with us forever. What does this mean exactly? Well, it is most certainly hard to explain. It is hard to grasp. It is hard to understand. And this is where we cannot comprehend. 
To comprehend something is to fully lay hold of it, to completely understand all that there is to know, and then to go forth and explain it fully to others. We can never comprehend who God is in and of Himself on this side of eternity. But we can apprehend Him. To apprehend, most of us would immediately think of a cop catching a robber. And that's what this is. We are apprehending the nature of God. We are grabbing hold of it, but not understanding it. We're grabbing hold and hanging on and taking it into our possession in order that we can worship the one true God, in order that we can worship this Trinity in unity and to worship the unity that is Trinity. We worship one God, this one God who is three persons. For us, we are individual persons who are individual beings. Our existence is one of separation from each other. One person is one being in the physical world. As I was reading some of mere Christianity the last few weeks, C.S. Lewis put forth in the chapter, The Three Personal God, a unique analogy that I had never thought about before, that I had never heard before, that I don't ever remember reading in mere Christianity. I just completely overlooked it. He pointed out that there are three dimensions. In the first dimension, you can have lines. That's all you can have, lines. But then, these lines exist separately from one another. They don't interact. But if you bring about the second dimension, you can now have shapes. You can have squares. Combinations of lines that a line could never imagine. You end up with squares in the second dimension. But then you add to that second dimension a third dimension. And you get combinations of squares that form a cube. You get a cube in the third dimension, something that a square could never imagine, something that does not eliminate the existence of the square. It does not lim- eliminate the existence of the, st- of the line in the third dimension, but it simply allows them to exist, but it puts things together in a new way. It is something new in the third dimension that the second dimension cannot imagine. Six squares combined. The squares are still there, but they're interrelated in a way that the square could never imagine to form something different. And this would be likewise in other dimensions that are above our observation if there are further dimensions. That's for the physics and the quantum mechanics out there to figure out. But there are greater things above our comprehension. If you only exist in the second dimension, the greatest thing is the square. That is the object that you can imagine. The cube is beyond. The cube is unfathomable because you can only see in two dimensions if you are a two-dimensional creature. And that is what we are like. We are two-dimensional creatures who cannot fathom on our own something greater. We exist as one person. And one person in one being. One person equals one being. One being equals one person. We're limited because we're just simply that, limited. We can't move beyond our existence and experience without the help from outside of existence. And our creeds that we say each week, whether it's the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed most weeks, or this week especially, this particular Sunday, the Athanasian Creed, our creeds help us to catch a glimmer, to capture, to apprehend, though we'll never fully comprehend. We get to see a small piece of what they mean, of what it is that the Trinity is, but we cannot plumb the depths of what we are given. 
We're going to read the Athanasian Creed today after this sermon. And this creed is a, is a long one. It's a very comprehensive creed. It's a, one that is full of metaphysical thoughts and metaphysical ideas of trying to understand the nature of God with human language. It certainly pushes our limits. It pushes the limits of our understanding, but that's okay because we're trying to talk about God Himself as God has revealed Himself to us. These aren't words that we are making up about God. These are words that God has revealed through Scripture. He has given us Scripture that reveals to us that there is a Father who is God, that there is a Son who is incarnated as Jesus Christ, who is truly God, and that there is a Holy Spirit who comes to dwell with us, who is God. And that they interact with one another. They work with one another. And so we have one God, and yet three persons, in His finite language to describe this eternal being of God, of God as He has always been. We are attempting to confess a three-dimensional reality with two-dimensional words. It's hard, but it's good. Because we're speaking of the God who has redeemed us. We're speaking of the God who has called us to Himself. The God who has called us to worship Him and to love Him. For He has poured out the fullness of His love to us through Jesus Christ by giving us His Holy Spirit. He has chosen to make Himself known to finite sinners, to finite creatures. He has revealed Himself for us. So in these next few minutes, I'm going to, we're going just to walk through and I'm going to explain a little bit and talk a little bit about the creed so that we know what we're about to hit up against so that we can hear these words a little bit before we get to actually saying them so that we'll have a little bit of a grasp of what's happening. And the first lines of the creed say, Whoever will be saved before all things, it is necessary that he hold the Catholic faith. Which faith except everyone do keep whole and undefiled, without doubt he shall perish everlastingly. What we believe about God matters. That's what this is saying, that if we are to be saved, we must believe about God rightly. We can't just have our own vague feelings and notions about God, ignoring the revealed Scripture. But we must know and lay hold of this faith, this one in three, this three in one. And this is how God has revealed Himself. It's explaining that what we believe about God must be based on the way Scripture speaks of each person that we believe in. And our salvation hangs on this reality for us to receive that salvation. For us to walk in faith means to begin to lay hold of more and more fully this reality of who God is. And the creed goes on to say, and the Catholic faith is this, that we worship God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the substance. This is what we believe and do. We worship the one God as three persons, yes. And the three persons as one God, we don't confuse the persons. We don't say the Father is the Son or the Son is the Holy Spirit, but we recognize that they are distinct persons in the divine substance. We don't treat them as one and the same person, but each is distinct We don't divide the persons so far that there are three gods. This one God remains as one God in three persons. The three are one and the one is three. The one is referring to the essence, the substance, the very being of God. And the three refers to the persons of God. We make that distinction between being and person because that is how God has revealed Himself. 
That's something that we can't do as persons, as human beings. There is not a distinction between being and person for us as humans. The person is being in itself. We are simply one being and one person, but God is on a different level. He exists in Himself as three persons interacting and working together, loving and caring and pouring out that love between one another from eternity past into eternity future. That is the very being of God. And the creed goes on to say, for there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Ghost. But the Godhead of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost is all one. The glory equal, the majesty co-eternal, such as the Father is, such is the Son, and such is the Holy Ghost. We're acknowledging first and foremost this reality that God is one and yet three. He is three and yet one. The persons share the one being. As we say this, it's the square contemplating the cube. Each person shares the one glory and the one majesty. That is the being of God. And yet, this one glory and this one eternity is in the midst of the three. It is shared perfectly between the three for they all have it equally. It acknowledges that each person of the creed, each person is co-equal, co-eternal. And we recognize and have to cling to this reality that the Father is, and the Son is, and the Holy Ghost is. The creed goes on to acknowledge these attributes and how they are shared, and how each one is and has each attribute. It goes on to say that each is uncreated, that each person is incomprehensible, that each person is eternal. Each person shares these realities equally and perfectly. But this reality of them sharing uncreatedness, of them sharing eternality, of them sharing the incomprehensibleness of the divine being does not mean that there are three incomprehensibles, that there are three uncreateds, that there are three eternals. No, there is but one that has these characteristics. And that one is the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Creed will go on to say again that there are Each person perfectly shares in the almightiness. So likewise, the Father is almighty. The Son is almighty. The Holy Ghost is almighty. But there are not three almighties. There is only one almighty. Over and over, each person has these attributes in and of himself for each person shares in the being of God. But they are not separate. To separate the persons would be to create three different gods and you cannot have three uh, equal gods. You cannot have three incomprehensibles. You cannot have three infinites. There can only be one God when we recognize the fullness of these attributes. The three are one and the one is three. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. And yet, not three gods, but one God. Over and over, this creed brings home to this reality that we worship the one God in three persons and we worship the three persons as the one God. Each person is truly God. Each person is truly the Lord. But we have but one God. It is forbidden, it says, by the Catholic religion to say there be three gods. That there be three lords. There's only one God that we worship. 
One Lord and Creator of all things. And then the creed moves into the language that the fathers strove against and that they strove with to explain this reality in the very nature of God. It begins to speak that the Father is made of none, neither created nor begotten. The Father is, in, is the Father in and of Himself. Some Greeks said that He is the fount of the Godhead. The Father makes known to us the Son. You cannot have the Father without a Son. And so the Father is made of none, neither created nor begotten. The Creed goes on to say that the Son is of the Father alone. He is not made, nor is He created, but He is begotten. From eternity past, the Son is begotten of the Father. And that if He is begotten of the Father from eternity past, then He is truly God, for God cannot beget anything but God. He is not made. The Son is not created. He simply is the Son of God begotten, not made. True God of true God. True light from true light. God of God. The Son is of the Father, and thus, as I said, the Father is eternal. Then the Son Himself is eternal. If one is God, then the other is God, and all the fullness of what it means to be God. There can never be a time when the Father was not the Father, for the Father has always had the Son with Him. The Son has always dwelt with the Father, but there was not, for the Son has always been. When Arius, the great arch-heretic of the 4th century, said, There was when the Son was not, he lied. For if there was when the Son was not, then the Son is not God. For the Son to be God means that He is eternal. And thus, the Son has always been. The Son has always been. The Son is always and always will be. The One who was and is and is to come. The Father is not the Father without the Son, and the Son is not the Son without the Father. And so the Son is begotten of the Father from eternity past, always and forever. And the Holy Ghost likewise is of the Father and of the Son. The Holy Ghost is neither made nor created nor begotten, but He proceeds from the Father. He spirates down from the Father and the Son and lives and participates in the eternality of God. He proceeds. And for Him to proceed is Him to be fully God. For He cannot come from the Father and the Son and not be truly God as well. The mystery of the Trinity. The Spirit is truly and fully God as the Father and the Son are. But within the Godhead, He proceeds eternally from the Father and the Son just as the Son is eternally begotten of the Father. And they share this Trinitarian life together, this Trinitarian existence, for that is the very nature and being of God Himself. And so the unity in Trinity and the Trinity in unity is to be worshipped. And thus to be saved, we must cling to this reality that there is a Father, that there is a Son, and that there is a Holy Spirit. And that there are not three fathers, there are not three sons, there are not three Holy Ghosts. There is one Father, there is one Son, there is one Holy Ghost. And in this Trinity, none is before or after. None is greater or less than another. The whole three persons are co-eternal together, always there. And they are co-equal, perfectly equal to one another in divinity, perfectly equal to one another in glory and majesty, in splendor, in power. Each person 
is interconnected in a way. Each person penetrates the other. Each person interacts and each person is where the other is. And that is the glory and the beauty of the one essence of God. And thus, for the Spirit to be with us, Jesus and the Father are with us as well. For the Spirit to descend and rest in the church and the people of God is for the Father and the Son to come and dwell with us through the Spirit. The Spirit prompts us to respond to Jesus because Jesus has dealt with our sins and Jesus carries us to the Father in Himself that we might receive from the Father the love of the Father for the Son. This matters that we believe in one God that is three persons. It changes everything about how we approach God. It changes everything about who we are. It changes everything about how we respond. The Creed will go on to talk about much of what we hear from the Nicene Creed about the Son, about how the Son is both God and man. The Son has both divine nature and human nature. But He is one person, and that you can't separate the natures. You can't divide them in such a way that you create two persons, that you create two Christ. We have but one Christ that we worship, that has died for our sins, that has been raised for our justification, that has ascended in order that we would be brought into the presence of God. Jesus is of the same substance as the Father according to His divine nature, but He is of the same substance as His mother according to His human nature. Perfect God and perfect man, perfectly subsisting in human flesh and being perfectly God. Jesus is equal to the God as touching His Godhead, the creed says. But yet, as touching His manhood, He is inferior for, in one sense, Jesus is a created being. But the Son has entered into creation. The Son, the eternal being, has taken up and assumed humanity into the Godhead and become incarnate. His divine nature is not transformed or changed in any way, but He takes on a human nature and unites Himself perfectly to this human nature in order that He can be a man, in order that God can enter into this creation and thus die to bring about salvation. In order to unite us fully to God that we would participate in the very nature of God Himself. Jesus becomes man in order that man might become God. Not that we are transformed into God, not that our human natures are somehow changed into something new, but that we participate, we receive the glories We receive the benefits. We receive the joys and the love that exist in the Trinity in ourselves because Jesus became man and took away our sin. And He ascended and poured out His Spirit upon us that we would know the salvation that comes to us. He pours out everything to us that is the love of God upon us through the Spirit. That is the work of Christ for us to take away our sins and to lift us up into the very life and being of God Himself by carrying human nature up into heaven. Not separating His person from His human nature, but keeping that human nature in perfect union with His perfect divinity. So that human nature has been carried up into the throne room of God. Human nature sits upon the throne of the eternal God now. A man of dust is my... Good professor Dr. Kelly always loves saying, a man of dust sits upon the throne of the universe and he is God himself. And this man of dust has carried us into heaven with him in order that we would know the glories of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that we would know the joys of the Trinitarian life poured out into us. And that is who dwells in us now. 
the Holy Spirit and by rights of Trinity, by rights of the unity of the Godhead, the Father and the Son dwell with us as well through the presence of the Trinity, of the Holy Spirit. He brings the Trinity to us so that we are perfectly and completely in the presence of God in a new and intimate way that has not been known in this world. And He changes us. He cleans us. He washes us in order that we would know the Father, in order that we would know the Son, in order that we would know Him, the Holy Spirit. And that's why Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said He will take what is mine and declare it to you. What the Spirit gives to us is what the Father has given to the Son, that the Son has given to the Spirit. And if we think about it like this from the perspective of love, the Father has loved the Son, and the Son has loved the Father, and the Holy Spirit witnesses this love and receives this very love as well. That as the Son loves the Father, the Son loves the Spirit. And as the Father loves the Son, the Father loves the Spirit. And there's this glorious joy of charity, of self-giving love within the persons, between the persons of the Trinity. What the Father has, He has given to Jesus. The Father has love for the Son and He has given it to the Son. And the Son then gives it to the Spirit who then gives it to us. That we are given the love of the Father for the Son through the Spirit. A love that we cannot have by rights. A love that cannot be ours for we are created beings. But nonetheless, through the Spirit, this eternal love of the Father for the Son and for the Spirit is poured upon us by the Spirit dwelling with us. And our imperfect, finite love is lifted up by the Spirit and taken to Jesus and declared to Jesus for us And Jesus then gives that love to the Father and perfects it and makes it an infinite love of the Son. He takes our love and then gives His love back to the Father as our love. He renews and recreates our love, our meager offering that comes up through Him to the Father that we might revel evermore in the joy of the love of the Trinity. God Himself dwells with us. The three persons dwells with us through the indwelling of the Spirit. And we can rest and find joy in who God is. And this is the faith that we believe and that we are changed and made into a new kind of people because of this faith. And we are guided evermore to the Father through the Son by the Spirit. So may we stand in awe of this mystery and worship as we declare this mystery this day. And may we evermore cling to this mystery And follow after this one who is three, this Father, this Son, and this Holy Spirit. Amen.